There he goes. One of God's own prototypes. A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, and too rare to die. Welcome to episode 67 of the Digital Freemason Podcast for the week of October 29th, 2007. I'm your host, Scott, and I'll be taking you along on my excellent adventures through the world of short Masonic educational papers. This and all other episodes are available at my website, www.thedigitalfreemason.com. Swing by, check it out, and uh, be sure to ah, leave some comments if you'd like, some suggestions. This week's episode comes from uh, Most Worshipful Brother Mervyn Woods, who's a Grand Master in um, Saskatchewan, and it's part of a series that he had done on this on the subject. And uh, it was then, no, oh, guess what was it? I guess it was October through 1971 through, I think it's June of 1972 in the uh, the Tracing Board, which was the Grand Lodge of Saskatchewan's uh, bulletin. And, and it, this is sort of building on a, a theme that's been here about uh, what it is we can do to make the craft a little bit better. But, you know, the other thing that sort of underlies and comes in a little bit later on is making small changes. And with every small change, uh, it gets added up and it's cumulative and starts to make a, uh, a bigger impact. It may not be seen right away, but it does as time goes on. And I sort of apply that to the whole uh, rough ash alert in order to make it smooth. So let's get going with uh, Most Worshipful Brother Woods' um, comments and thoughts on membership and attendance. For a number of years now, we've been experiencing a decline in both membership and in attendance at meetings. Many factors are contributing to this decline, and some of these are beyond our control. The expanding areas of the average farm in the grain belt has led to a decline in the rural population. The development of more rapid means of transit and communications have helped to bring about a decline in population in many of our villages and towns. There have been a general movement of population to larger centers. This creates problems for masonry because it is a well-known fact that the percentage of masons to population is much smaller in large urban centers than it is in areas that are, are essentially rural. Economic and social factors are also at work in our capacity as masons. We cannot hope to change these. Why so much concern about our declining membership and poor attendance at meetings? Before considering this, there are some things that a mason, mason should bear clearly in mind. For example, masonry numbers are not the ends to themselves. We do not want to recruit members just to swell our ranks. Furthermore, we are restricted in the ways in which we can approach this problem. Solicitation is prohibited, and we have never subscribed to anything that might be described as prosthesizing or missionary work. Our effects are directed inwardly, and to those who belong to the craft. Among ourselves, we seek for moral uplifting and guidance through our beautiful system of morality. It must nevertheless be apparent to all that a continuing decline in numbers cannot be viewed with equanimity. Numbers do not concern us. We need a substantial membership to properly support the administrative structure necessary for the operation of our craft, with its lodges so widespread over our large jurisdiction. We need to retain our present membership if we can do that. There is no special Masonic strictures on this. Once a man becomes a Mason, we each have a duty towards him. 
Masonry will have little meaning for him unless we show that it has meaning for us. There will always, however, be some attrition on our lodges through natural causes, if nothing else. How do we secure replacement? How do we swell the ranks? The way opens to us is, at present is to create a favorable opinion of the order, to display a general desire for knowledge, and to render ourselves more serviceable to our fellow creatures. But how do we create such a favorable opinion of the order? Masons should conduct themselves as to create a favorable opinion of the order. This is one of the motives that prompted each of us to apply for admission, and is the real tool that we have for creating a desire in others to join us. If Masons are enthusiastic about the craft, and have an earnest desire for profits from its teachings, others will be aware of it. There need not be, and this need not be done in any flamboyant manner. If your life exemplifies Masonry in any real way, the influences will be there. Men seek enjoyment. Serious men seek meaningful enjoyment. It is to be found in large measure in our brotherhood. Masonry can be very rich at this. A well-run lodge will generate it, and others will feel it. Such a lodge will have few problems of either membership or attendance. So far in these editorials, two problems have been emphasized. Let me not leave the impression that our order in this jurisdiction is in an unhealthy state. We have many excellent lodges. Others are good, yet others are fair. Some can only be described as being in trouble, particularly in the, man in the matter of attendance. What is to be done? The reason for poor attendance is often given caused by local conditions. One of the most common of these is competition from other organizations. There is, of course, some truth to this. We live in a busy age that has seen the introduction of dozens of organization, organizations, each claiming its share of our time and energy. But masonry was here before most of these and will probably survive most of them. Most lodges meet only once a month and are not the centers of pressure or harassment. A well-run lodge meeting presents a restful and contemplative atmosphere. Your lodge can be a real oasis for constructive relaxation in the midst of hustle and bustle of contemporary life. Masonry does not compete with service clubs, veteran or professional or occupational groups. Its purpose is unique and different. Its demands on the member's time is minimal. Its, its group work is carried out during lodge hours alone. If these are well organized and effective, no other organization has more to offer. If all that's been said in this editorial is true, who is responsible for the fact that our meetings, in so many instances, do not attract better attendance? Many would place the blame on the master of the lodge, and indeed he must bear a great deal of it in many instances. However, it does not, I do not believe that it ends there. Masters should provide good leadership, and many masters do. The state of our lodges attests to this. Grand Lodge also has an overall responsibility as well. Masters should be able to look to the Grand Lodge for advice and counseling. Our district deputy Grand Masters go from lodge to lodge and each of them should be ready to offer constructive suggestions and advise to help meet the local problems. Your present district deputies have been asked to adopt this attitude of readiness to help and it is hoped that they will be called upon where needed. Your Grand Master and his officers must stand behind them, ready to assist when required. This is not to say that the District Deputy is simply a troubleshooter. He has clearly defined duties which he must carry out. 
If, however, there are lodges having troubles, he should either have or be ready to secure some constructive suggestions. The master, who is at his wit's end, should be able to go to him for assistance. Now this brings up the basic question, how do you get good attendance? The answer can be shortly stated. To have good attendance, you must have a lodge of which the members are proud and meetings that are interesting. Oh, that's a tall order, you say. Not really. We will start to discuss them in the next issue. Masonry has provided us with an impressive ritual and excellent ceremonies for degree work. Unfortunately, this is all that many feel obliged to do. The ritual is the most important, and officers should know it. You cannot have a well-run Masonic meeting without work that is put on well. While there are many other things that can be done, it should be recognized and emphasized that the allegorical veil and the symbolic illustrations of our system of morality are both in the ritual and that it is through the ritual that we gradually incorporate these into our minds and lives. It is of paramount importance that we put the work together well. Most masters realize and recognize this, and so there is no need really to dwell on it. It must, however, be mentioned first as it is first in importance. However, there are so many other things that can be done to make a meeting enjoyable. Some of them seem of little significance, but collectively they add up to a great difference. For example, keep your regalia in good shape. The officers responsible for it should see that the place where it is stored is kept clean. There should be also be a program for orderly replacement. The regalia should look clean and sharp so that the officers who use it will feel the same. Start your meetings on time. Don't wait for all your officers. Start with substitutes if necessary. At the appointment appointed hour for opening, if you have a perfect lodge of brethren present, get going. You will find the latecomers will soon begin coming on time. Know that business is coming up and be ready with suggestions if they are needed. Don't let business drag. If you have only an item or two, get on with them. Don't try and make something big out of something that isn't. Now if you're through at 8 and 9 o'clock, fine. A few minutes planning can change the whole atmosphere of the meeting. Don't let it drag or be dead. Above all, remember that no meeting should be longer than necessary. Every master should concentrate on having a full attendance of his officers. Get them out to the meetings. Thank them when they do come out and praise them when, when properly possible. Many officers are careless about their attendance simply because during their tenure in the lower offices they were never impressed upon them that the officers were expected to attend. A new master should contact all his officers on taking the lodge. He may be able to get them together as a group. If attendance has been poor under his predecessors, now he may find this difficult. He may speak to them individually or he may write each of them a letter. He should ask each of them to be out for every meeting. He should get them to each undertake to obtain a substitute whenever attendance is impossible or to advise either the secretary or the master as to whom it is. This will avoid the sad spectacle of a master running around 15 minutes after the meeting was supposed to have started trying to fill the chairs. Nothing can dampen a meeting more than having an all too apparent that the master did not come prepared. Now, if the chairs are filled, you have a good start for attendance. This is a good place to start, and if the chairs are well filled, you will be surprised at what 
what you will do with others that come out. It will also help to build up an esprit de corps among the officers who will provide a large measure of support for Goodyear. Try to fill these chairs. It is interesting to note that when you visit a lodge, you can often tell before the meeting starts as to what kind of meeting you will see. If the master and his secretary have everything in hand, you can usually look forward to an interesting evening. If, however, the master, the secretary, and other officers are running around getting information that they should already have had, you can look forward to a dull meeting punctuated by excuses and apologies. Every prospective master should start to consider his year in office well ahead, no later than the year that he is junior warden. He'll probably need some prompting, and in my view, the master should give it. Many assume, many assume the seat of Solomon, feeling obligated to know the ritual and little else. As I said earlier, the ritual is important. The master's duties, however, is to rule a lodge, and no one can rule well without giving leadership. But how can he lead? Leadership involves planning, and every master should enter office with plans. These need not be grandiose. Master need not feel that he has a personal crusade to rejuvenate his lodge. If, however, each master enters upon his term with even a few small ideas about how to improve his meetings, the results will quickly show. After all, there are only a few meetings a year that need special attention. A number of meetings have already made features, as it were. These include such occasions as installation night and the visit of the district deputy grand master. Such evenings need attention, but there is no problem with program. The master should have special plans for a few meetings, however, such as speakers or social activities. These need not be numerous, and they need not be elaborate. Each meeting should have something, however. If there is no degree work, no significant business, or no special event, the master should see to it that there is something either during the lodge or after it to add to the occasion. It doesn't have to be lengthy, but it should be there. To sum up this series, it is suggested that if our lodge meetings are planned, start on time, if the officers are present, if the ritual is carried out with reasonable competence, and, when necessary, there is some additional item to remove the atmosphere of routineness, members will be more interested in attending and will soon gain a feeling of pride in their lodge. Once this state has been reached, it will begin to show outside the lodge, and those eligible for memberships will begin to show an interest implied in the term of a favorable opinion preconceived of the institution. A big step will have been taking, taken in the meetings of our problems of membership and attendance. Where people band together in a common purpose, problems can only be met by common action. This requires leadership. In masonry, it is needed as much as anywhere else. However, in masonry, we have a distinct advantage. The principles upon which we build and the format of our assemblies have long since been established. In days gone by, when social intercourse was more restricted than it is today, there was no problem in attendance. Like the rural church, the lodge filled a needed place in the social lives of men, as well as being instructional. We live in a fast-moving, rapidly changing time. The entire pace of life has quickened. The principles of masonry are eternal, though. Our ritual has evolved gradually and is both beautiful and impressive. However, in today's social climate, we cannot drag our feet. 
Most masons are ready to take up time to visit a well-run lodge, but few are prepared to waste their time on one that is poorly run. So there we have it, some thoughts from uh, Most Worshipful Brother Woods on membership and attendance. And uh, as I say, I'm always a big proponent of making small incremental changes. It's uh, That's sort of one of the things that I see in Freemasonry is really just doing the slow and the steady wins the race. Um, in today's society, it's you like to have everything sort of happen right away. I call it the microwave society. But it's the, it's the long journeys that uh, take a lot of effort that uh, provide the most gain. So think about that. If, uh, if you're a, an officer in your lodge, just what can you do to help make sure that your little piece increases the, uh, the quality of your lodge meeting and uh, your lodge as a whole? And invariably, m- membership and attendance will, it will increase. So until next week, I've been your host, Scott, and I've enjoyed our excellent time together. And if you'd like a copy of this and uh, the other episodes, swing by www.thedigitalmason.com or email me at podcast at thedigitalfreemason.com. So until next week, be sure to keep the shiny side up.